0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast, the number one bassoon quartet podcast on the internet, probably. I'm Brian. I'm Kent. I'm Michael. And today we are continuing our streak of special guests. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you all my aunt Kitty.
2: Right. Hi, hey. hello everybody. Thanks for being here. Drop the aunt. I'm just Kitty. Just Kitty. <laughs>
1: I've been very fortunate to have Kitty in my life because she's been very supportive and encouraging with all of this music nonsense. And we've talked in the past about uh, the origin stories of all four of us in the quartet, how we got started and what led us to pursue it, not only as like, you know, school music as, as we normally start off, but to take it farther than that and become music majors and then even professionals and everything. And so I'm very curious what that all looks like from the other side of things when you've got a kid or a nephew or somebody in the family who seems interested in music and they pursue something as unusual as the bassoon. What, do you, what was your first experience with the bassoon?
2: You. You were nine years old. And? And my husband and I came to see you do some magic. <laughs> and you... <laughs> Pulled out the bassoon, which was enough magic to see you lift that thing. <laughs> sat on a stool on a strap and promptly fell off the stool.
3: <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs>
2: <laughs> but I was amazed that this was the instrument you were playing and that the school actually had nine-year-olds playing this instrument.
3: Yeah, that's unusual. Yeah, Usually yeah.
1: you start a little bit older than that. It works in this particular case because my teacher played the oboe. So she was not afraid to tackle the double reeds. And the way it actually worked was that she came into my class the year before and said, whatever instrument you want to play next year, write it down. And I wrote trumpet and saxophone like all the other boys. But she pulled me aside and said, hey, you got long fingers, try the bassoon. So you saw that, and did you think, that's what this kid's going to do?
2: No, absolutely not. I figured you'd give it up within a, Hmm. a few years because reeds are so incredibly um difficult
1: yeah
0: fortunately we, we never grade. figure that out do we <laughs> <laughs> did, did you know when he was nine that the reeds were going to be so weird i have a lot I of have a back- i have a have background
2: no um growing up in music so okay. i knew that reeds are difficult to play um and i played the clarinet in high school uh elementary school and was kicked off the fifth grade with band Because I couldn't stop squeaking. So (laughs) so they kicked you out? They kicked me out, fifth grade, yeah. Hmm. But Brian, he he kept at it. And it was an awesome thing to watch, the development, just just to see him persevere. And I have to say that his mother, um, I don't know a mother who would do what she did to ensure that he got a full feel for the instrument and how it sounded in a group and how who plays these instruments she would find other bassoonists and oboists for him to meet and talk to and uh, I have to give her an incredible amount of credit for keeping him interested and then I also have a certain sense of guilt I was telling Brian (laughs) because I was so interested in his playing the instrument and I I don't know where he might have gone had he not been playing, maybe he would have been a lawyer, a doctor, but he wouldn't have been having as much fun, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: true. He wouldn't be a rock star. Bassoon Quartet rock star. Right, guys? Oh, yeah. Sheesh. You are. <laughs> Indeed. So Kitty and her husband, Ernie, as I was growing up, were always examples of really artistic people. And you studied ballet. I did. Ernie was a painter and an, he was architect, an architect and, and a, a writer, wow, and everything. And so I kind of I was surprised to learn the other day that you majored in
2: genetics. I got my master's in genetics. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And it's all because I ripped all the muscles in my ankle, and dance was no longer an option. Mm. So science was the next best thing. Huh.
3: <laughs>
2: anyway, but art, music, and art has always been. Important in our lives, and I play instruments, but not like you guys play instruments.
1: Yesterday we played some flute and contrabassoon duets.
3: Oh, cool! There are no such
2: things. He just transposed (laughs) the contrabassoon into. Yeah.
3: Did you make any recordings of that?
2: Are you
1: kidding? No. No, This this is pretty serious. This was a Beethoven trio. Oh, okay. And, uh, we didn't have a piano, of course, so there was a lot missing.
2: Besides which, I'm at 5,000 feet. I'm learning oh, yeah. to breathe. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. Oh, right. right. Huh.
1: Um, just to give you an idea of what it was like growing up with Kitty and her husband Ernie, uh, we would go to their house, and there would be all sorts of wonderful, fun, whimsical things all over the place, including like a what do you call it? Like a porthole. A porthole. Port, port and mm-hmm. it would have like a mirror on it or something. And you could actually open it up and inside of it would be a watercolor painting of this bizarre looking, kind of grumpy looking fish. Fish. Staring at you. <laughs> and like they would come visit our house and Uncle Ernie <laughs> took some measurements of something and implied that he was going to do something. And then one day he sent us this watercolor of a gorilla looking really kind of grumpy and everything. And the idea was that in one of our uh, bathrooms in the house, there's a laundry chute. And if you're sitting on the toilet, you open up the door of the laundry chute and it's just a normal laundry chute. But he would put this little painting of the gorilla in there. So you'd open up, if you're feeling nosy and you open up the laundry chute, you've got this... (laughs) Grumpy gorilla. (laughs) Yeah, this grumpy gorilla. And he also put, like, he made these little fingers that you'd put on the little, like, the window of the chute so it will look like he's actually coming out at you...
2: He would do some crazy things. The first time we visited, um, it was over Halloween. And Brian was very much interested in costumes, a lot of different costumes. And Ernie, being Ernie, didn't care what anybody on the plane thought. And we brought costumes, and he gets off the plane fully dressed for Halloween <laughs> at the airport in Buffalo. Brian's you, well, you, you were I was a dressed costume. a witch. I was a witch. <laughs> and Brian looks and goes... <laughs> he was just totally in awe of, of what he saw. If you get on a plane today in a witch's costume, they might arrest yeah, you, I some think. trouble there. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't remember what he wore, but I do remember he had, like, some fake teeth. A, some really whatever teeth. it
2: was, it was weird. Um, I a hard
1: time imagining you as a little boy.
2: There's no change.
0: <laughs> there's no change. None. It's basically the same.
2: Basically thing. the same.
1: It's my boyish good looks. Yeah, well... <laughs> okay, so you... You did a lot of ballet, and the original idea was that she was going to visit in February and see Cody and me play at Colorado Ballet. but the weather was very bad here, and it was also very bad in North we Carolina
2: had a one that was mm. oh.
1: and so we rescheduled for this week and last night, Cody and I played the Brahms Requiem <laughs> at a church in Denver with a very good orchestra
2: amazing sound from the orchestra mm. and an excellent conductor. And I don't know if she was the church choir director at this Methodist yeah. church or huge structure in Denver. Really nice church. Hmm.
1: So she's visiting for a few days, and I thought it would be great to have another guest on the podcast. Does I like it? guests on the podcast. Yeah, so I think it it's, great. Cool. it's a good mm-hmm. thing. The last two episodes, we talked with Dr. Narimoto, um, and we had Cody help translate and everything, and we learned all sorts of <laughs> that things. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, That's it was good. pretty cool. It was cool.
2: neat. I have to say, concerning Brian's education in music, that at first when he said he was going to Ithaca, I was a little disappointed considering what I would consider the quality of his ability to play the bassoon. I thought he should be going to Manhattan or, you know, not Juilliard, it wasn't his temperament, but something similar to that. But I thought, no, stay out of it, sit on your... Sit on it, don't (laughs) say a word.
1: (laughs) Ithaca was recently ranked, I think, the number three school in the country for music education.
3: Wow, wonderful. Did you go in expecting to perform or educate?
1: I went in with the intention of being a teacher. Mm
2: -hmm. My step-grandson went to NYU majoring in a double major, music and business. And the business part actually takes you to the NYU Business School, the name of which eludes me at the time. And he is now a director with Sirius Satellite Radio, so he's combined the two yeah. Yeah, quite nicely. It's
3: not a bad idea as a music major to have a another skill, or another major, I think, sometimes these days.
1: Especially if your aim is performance. Yeah. Because as it is, there are... Colleges are pumping out many, 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 many really good students, and there are very few jobs opening with orchestras and other performance ideas. Uh, so they all wind up finding something else to do with their lives, and uh, things are out of balance. Mm-hmm. So having something else to do, in the you know either in the field of music or maybe something entirely different, is something that more and more teachers are encouraging kids to, to think about. I
2: also think what's happening that I see happening in music now, such as your bassoon, you know, the Boulder Quartet, is that the musicians that are coming out are finding ways to get Mm -hmm. together and create music events and create, instead of large symphonies, you have small groups that play regionally and encourage other musicians. And I think that this is a good thing that's happening too. Yeah,
1: we've been finding more and more really high quality musicians and groups playing in unexpected places? I would like to
2: think with what's happening money for large orchestras, especially ballet orchestras, which don't have the money for their ballet company, much less an orchestra or a union member orchestra, Mm -hmm. that groups like yours and trios and things would have more of an opportunity to play for ballet companies that need music Mm -hmm. and different choreographies as opposed to just the old chestnuts all the time. You know, get a new choreographer to do a new work for the Boulder Bassoon Quartet. Why not?
1: Yeah, why not? Sounds good to me. Sign me up. We were actually talking at one point like, what, after we're all done with making our album and playing it as much as we can throughout Colorado and taking it to Tokyo in August, uh, what should our next big project be? And I was thinking something about ballet, but I didn't say anything. And I just said it to the other guys. And Mike said,
0: Oh, I think we should do something with dance. I think it, the first thing that I was thinking was the Ballet Nouveau Colorado. There's a like a folk rock group out of uh, the Boulder, Denver area called Paper Bird that had just done a, um, a collaboration with Ballet Nouveau Colorado. And I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounded like a good project and one that... Uh, has a lot of value in the community.
2: And I was at the North Carolina Ballet a couple of weeks ago to a new program they've started called Great Composers Not Writing for Dance. It's music that they've composed, but not for dance. And I came back and I put on your CD. And I'm Mm -hmm. sitting there and I think, you know, this this is the way it should go. You know, get the young... Young new performers out there, and introduce them to the choreographers who need new material. Mm. And I thought, okay, you're gonna you're gonna push this. You're gonna okay. go forward. So, hopefully, maybe I can push your CD to Ricky Weiss at the North Carolina Ballet Company. That would be. Would be cool. That yeah. would be something. The boss. <laughs>
1: First touring ballet bassoon quartet. or we could <laughs> rename ourselves the Boulder Ballet Bassoon Quartet. The Boulder. No. B3 qb cubed. Too much.
3: <laughs>
1: this episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by Forrest's Music about everything you could possibly need to play a double reed instrument is available at forestsmusic.com including from the opposite shore the forestsmusic.com Kitty is my dad's sister and she married Ernie and Ernie was the kind of guy who would sit down at a piano and not reading a single note of music just play this amazing like stride piano, ragtime kind of stuff. How was it that he came to be able to do
2: that? He just did it. Actually, he started out with a violin. Um, His whole family was very musical. His mother was musical, his father was musical. There was a lot of music and there was no TV. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he started out in the violin and anything his teacher gave him, the next week it was played to perfection and she couldn't understand it because he couldn't read the music when she put it up in front of him, and he never played it. He always asked her to play it first, and when it was done, he'd then go, to, go in and play it. Wow. He found the piano more fun. He could make money at it as a teenager <laughs> and as a young adult in a bar. He was able to play the concertina, never having touched one before. What's that? Uh, the little squeeze box. Yeah, you know, little, the, it's, little little, it's not really an accordion. It's kind of like a little squeeze box mm-hmm. um it's a, you can you hear it in a lot of italian folk mm-hmm. music he played the he played the concertina the piano the organ any stringed instrument you put in front of him and he sat down and played brian got a note out of brian's bassoon yeah. without <laughs> wow, that's cool. an issue
1: so that's it's so impressive but i don't i didn't stand a chance of inheriting any of that since he's not my, you know part of the blood family
2: and since your father's musicality is <laughs> absent <Yeah.
1: laughs>
2: do we call it absent or do we call it underdeveloped we call it negative one <laughs> okay.
3: now the stride style of playing that that's when your left hand is doing a lot of boom chuck and leaping around yeah that's not easy right to do that kind of stuff he and so when mean, you're boom chucking on the left hand and your right hand is doing all sorts of improv and stuff like that, that's got to be pretty impressive.
2: He could play any style of music, which mm-hmm. is what impressed me about it. It wasn't just um, ragtime, which mm-hmm. he had to a T. It was any style you asked. He could he couldn't do the harmonies of Bach, you know, or the fingering and the and the intricacies of Bach, but anything else was fair game. That's cool. Did
1: he ever learn how to read music? Never. Oh.
2: He only played in the key of C, hmm. at least that's what he said. Uh, but when you uh. really came down from it, he he would start that, but move over, you know, go hmm. over. Hmm. So for one of his birthdays, I bought him a keyboard that hmm. had the ability to change the keys so that if he's playing with his son, who is a violinist or a guitar, or his son also played the guitar and his son also played the and pipe, and his grandchildren played violins, and his daughter played flute and any other instrument she was, that was put into her hands. With this new keyboard, he could, which is now not new, but at the time it was, he could play in any key with them. Playing Irish music in C just does not work. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a law against it in Ireland.
1: <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Um, I could happily spend this entire... Time just talking about family stories, <laughs> but that's not really the points of our podcast. No, we never really established the point of our podcast. But I bet <laughs> you that's not it Should a, be the point. <laughs> it's not Brian Jack family story time. <laughs> I guess
0: I'm curious to know. Um, it's pretty clear that you are generally a big supporter of the arts in society, and it's clear that you have been a supporter of uh, Brian's artistic pursuits. I'm curious to know if there were ever any moments uh, during Brian's development and his uh, decisions to get further and further involved in music. Did you ever have to encourage other members of your family to go along with his pursuits, or no. has everyone been as supportive?
2: No, and his as you? mother, in particular, um, has been ultimate support. My brother, to my amazement. <laughs> I don't mean that badly, my dear brother. Um, my brother, to my amazement, has also been very much supportive of Brian in his music. And my brother's a pragmatist and very much not of the artistic mentality, you know, so for him to be so supportive of a career which has such question, I think, is a, is pretty awesome. So. I
1: remember one, I don't want to say a turning point, but something that I think helped him a lot was when we did a tour of Ithaca, and the dean or whoever said, 100% of the students, music education students, who graduate from Ithaca and look for a job, get a job. And I think Dad was like, oh, okay, there's There's a future, there's hope.
2: (laughs) I think every parent wonders when their child takes an artistic direction, whether it be music or dance god forbid it be painting Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or even writing you know what is going this country is not a great supporter of arts as a career so i i think every parent worries but i think what you guys are doing in our i think it's wonderful don't stop can't stop (laughs)
1: we're we're all addicted That's right.
2: it's an addiction (laughs) when I was a dancer it's true and you can ask any dancer who has achieved anything it is a passion Mm -hmm. and I know this young boy I've been telling Brian about this young boy who's now 17 he started when he was 9 like any child playing the cello his parents were not musical but they supported everything he did he's now 17 he's been asked to play as a junior member a learning member of the Corona String Quartet Wow. Um he takes his he takes himself from Long Island, the south shore of Long Island, twice a week into Manhattan for a lesson and a rehearsal. His mom does nothing because she said, He knows to do it all. I don't have to do it. He knows to do it all. And you know, to be that kind of parent and sit back and say, This is my child's passion, I'm going to let him do what he wants. It takes courage.
1: We should start a junior bassoon quartet thing. There you go. BJBQ. (laughs) That's
2: another name for the list, Brian. BJ.
3: Boulder Jr. Bassoon
2: Quartet. So I'd like to know how you guys got together to do this. What was the decision to do a quartet?
3: I think the story goes that we... Well, I was late to the game, so maybe I shouldn't be
1: explaining this story from the beginning ethan and i were the first <laughs> yeah. yeah we were the first two. with two other guys and they have That's since gone on to reality <laughs> and so there's not a very you know romantic story about it our teacher said we should have a bassoon quartet in the studio and i was the ta so he put me in charge of it and i think he assigned the other guys did he mm-hmm. tell you to be in the quartet ethan yeah well the the way that i remember it the the uh... One of the things that really started it was George's Senior Recital, which I, maybe that came later. Did we wind up playing in George's Recital? Um, I can't actually remember if that ever came to fruition or not, right. but I remember rehearsing for it because I was the lowly sophomore and everyone else was older than me. And I was intimidated to you know, play in this quartet with everybody who was you know, either a junior, senior, or graduate student. So that's the piece I remember.
2: let me tell you about intimidation. Okay. (laughs) You were the youngest, and you were intimidated. I started playing the flute and had my first recital ever last year. I had no spit in my mouth, by the way, and couldn't play the flute. I know that feeling. (laughs) Um, And I was playing with other nine-year-olds. There you go. And it's very tough to get up in front of a group of people where all the children are so amazingly wonderful mm-hmm. and grandma over here mm-hmm. is up there playing in front of them mm-hmm. and looking for their approval it was really mm-hmm. terrifying truly absolutely <laughs> i mean i really what looked for a shot of vodka before <laughs> <laughs> just, just, so but Are you glad that you did that? I am very glad that I did that because I, all my life, have avoided playing in front of anybody. Hmm. I played the piano. I've been playing the piano most of my life. And I don't play well. I play for me. And part of it's because I haven't been pushed and didn't push myself. And I've avoided all recitals. And then when I started taking the flute, I decided nobody was going to hear me. I was just going to play it for me, but I love that instrument so much. I said I've got to get over this fear and play with people. So um, you talk about intimidation. Yeah. <laughs> that was intimidating. <laughs> you know, almost X number of years old, and you give your first recital. Oh, please.
1: <laughs> so that actually brings up a, a great topic, which is performance anxiety and ways to deal with it so why don't we wrap up this episode and then we can talk about favorite performance anxious
3: moments (laughs) no ways to deal with it ways to try to
1: to handle that right all right this will conclude this episode of the boulder bassoon quartet podcast um we always end these things with a little bit of music so why don't you pick something from our cd available for sale on iTunes and at forestmusic.com, From the Opposite Shore.
2: I find it impossible to pick something from that CD since I listen to the whole thing in its entirety every time it goes on. We
1: will play the Mm -hmm. entire album right now. 45 (laughs) minutes of music. How
2: about a little bit of the New York number? Ah, there
1: you go. Sound of New York. Um, We've got five movements to choose from. Rushing Through the Sudden Rain, Ambulance Sirens and Car Horns, Subway Announcements, On the Streets, and From the Opposite Shore, Corral. Uh,
2: the Streets, from the Streets. On the Streets. On the
1: Streets. Dr. Narimoto was here recently. and She told us that that movement is inspired by her walking around on the streets and hearing many different languages, some of which she couldn't even recognize. So it has this walking bass line that Ethan starts with. doo 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 And that's just walking and, you know, it sounds cool and jazzy. And then we all come in with a variety of different styles. (laughs) Kent and I play a lot of long tones, and it's almost Mm -hmm. a chorale at times. And then Mike jumps in, kind of matches Ethan's bass line a bit. And then we have some really interesting intervals that sound almost alien and everything. So it's a pretty cool piece.
2: That sounds like New York, almost alien.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a clip from On the Streets.